Uh, last week I started on a message and I'm going to kind of wrap it up today. Uh, it's really stems from our 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. And, uh, but the Lord really stirred up a thought in me, uh, during that time. And so today I want to give you some practical tips, if you will, uh, last week. But I, so the phrase that the Lord dropped in my heart is that he's not just the Lord of the breakthrough, but he's the Lord of the breakout. And that's different. Uh, there are two different things. Breakthrough means, hey, we survived it. We made it through. We got to the other side, but we might still have a limp. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, whoo, made it. But a breakout is something different. A breakout is something that after the fact, in other words, let me say it this way, is that you're more energized after the fight than you were before. Is that God does something supernatural in you. And, um, and so just for a little bit of review quickly, and then I'm going to jump into today's message. Uh, a breakout is simply this. It means a forceful break from a restraining condition or situation. And I believe, and I've shared this with you even last week and even in the weeks prior, is that I believe that the enemy loves to get us to try to live small, to con- contain us and restrain us from stepping into what God has for us. And, and so here it talks about that it's a forceful breakaway. In other words, something happens. And so many times we think that the devil, the enemy, even demonic forces, we think, oh man, they're so powerful. Not in compared to Jesus, they're not. And he is our savior and he works and he moves. And he, you know, the Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in other words, if you see Jesus do it in the Bible, guess what? He's still Jesus today. Is that He never changes who he is. He never changes uh, what he's about. And so... <clears throat> The last definition that I like is this. It says that it's success or accomplishment, especially in comparison to previous efforts. So in other words, you may have tried and failed or struggled or whatever, but there's something different about this season. And I shared this with you last week is that I believe that this year will be a year of breakout for those of you who will believe and grab a hold of it. Is that I can say it till I'm blue in the face and I could preach this every week for the rest of the year. But if you don't connect your faith to it, nothing's going to happen in your life. I knew that wasn't going to get a lot of response. I mean, I could preach this every way up, down, backwards, sideways, every which way. But unless your heart grabs hold of it and it's not just something that I'm telling you, but you say, hey, that's my word. And that's what God is saying to me in this situation. And look, and this can apply to any situation or environment of your life. And so I don't know what area that you need to break out in. But I am telling you is that God is the one who will produce the breakout if we'll cooperate with him. So I'll remind you about January, right? The whole theme of our devotional was it's not by power. It's not by, or it's not by, um, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of God. So this isn't a natural thing. We have a part to play. And so today I'm actually going to give you the anatomy of a breakout. I'm going to give you five key things from one story of the Bible that I believe will help position you for a breakout this year. I, you know, this might be one of the most more practical messages, uh, that I've taught, uh, really since the beginning of the year. And so uh, one of the scriptures that the Lord dropped in my heart during our 21 days that I've been praying over you and have continued to pray this comes out of Zechariah 10, 1. I've shared this a number of times, but it says to ask the Lord for rain in the season of rain. And so let me put it into what we're talking about is that you need to ask God for a breakout when he says he's going to break you out. Like you need to pray, you need to stir up your faith. And so, and he says, and the Lord who makes the rain clouds, he will give you the, or, and he will give you or give them showers of rain and crops in the field for everyone. 
In other words, is that God's going to make sure that you flourish this year when you break out. In other words, you can't stay the same and expect there to be something different. On my laptop, I've had the same picture of Albert Einstein for years. And it says this, has a, a quote from him. And it says, it is insanity to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And so every day that I sit down at my laptop, I'm reminded that if I do what I did yesterday, I'm only going to get what I got yesterday. Is that I have to do something different. I have to think different. I have to be influenced by something different today if I don't want yesterday to repeat itself. And so many times we're just like in a hold pattern. We're just circling, 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 going, when's God going to come through? When's God going to come through? When God's going to come through? I want to give you five steps today. And I'm not really a steps guy. I'm not really a points guy typically. But today I got five of them for you. And so if you have your Bibles or if you are on your device, you can turn over to John chapter 11. And uh, I'm going to read a portion of scripture here, and then we're going to get into really the body of it. And so today is going to be kind of scripture heavy, um, a little bit, just because I'm reading the story in context. Um, there's, I think I skipped three or four verses at one point, but other than that, we're pretty much going to read a good little portion here. And this is a, a fairly familiar passage of scripture. This is the account of Lazarus, which if you've not heard the story of Lazarus, you will today. And, uh, but I believe that there's something, that, and, and there's a lot of lessons that we can pull out of this passage of Scripture. And so starting here in verse 1 of John chapter 11, it'll be up on the screen for you as well. It says that a man named Lazarus was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. It says this was the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Says her brother Lazarus was sick, and so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus saying, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. And so here, now this, let me give you a little context. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were very close to Jesus. Like, not trying to overstate this, but Jesus was very comfortable. When he came to their house, he was not proper. Like Jesus kicked his shoes off, probably put his feet up on the table. Why? Because he was very accustomed to being with them. There was very much a close bond between them. Uh, and, and so you have to understand that this isn't just like another person. Like today we would say like calling Jesus being like, hey, can you come to the house? I know you don't know me, but could you do it? No, this would be like a very close relative, a very close friend. Like somebody who if they ask you, you're going to drop everything and go. How many of you got people like that in your life? It's like, hey, it doesn't matter what I've got going on. You're more important than whatever I'm doing. That's the relationship here. And so you need to understand that is that this wasn't just a random stranger. This was somebody that was in relationship with Jesus. And so they sent a message. Now, let me ask you this. If you sent a message to somebody, like let's put it in our modern context. If I sent you a text, I expect a response. And especially if it says delivered on my device. And then it goes dot, 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 red. Joker, you better start responding. Because I have sent a message, and if you saw it, I expect a response. Right? Well, Mary and Martha are expecting a response. And so what we see here is that it says that Lazarus is sick. They send a message. Do you think that they had an expectation that Jesus was, would come? Absolutely. Why? Because there was a relationship and they expect, hey, when I, when I call, I ain't like everybody else. 
I expect you to come. And so even the language here, it says that and they're telling Jesus in the message, it says, hey, your dear friend, which this translation doesn't do a great job of, of really describing this. Other ones say it this way, whom you dearly love. It's, it's actually the word phileo. So this deep brotherly love. Like, this, is, this is your friend. This is somebody that you deeply care about is sick. And we know that you can heal. We just need you to show up. You ever felt that way with God? Like, God, I believe you can. I just need you to show up. I just need you to come and be you for me. And and so uh, it goes on. It says, but when Jesus heard uh, about it, he said that Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will uh, will receive glory from this. And it says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two days. Now, to give you a little bit of context, Jesus is in Jerusalem. They're calling him to Bethany. It's less than two miles away. The average human being could walk three miles in a day. So, leave mid-morning, you're going to be there in the afternoon. This is not very far distance-wise. And so, but for whatever reason, which Jesus does talk about, it says that even though he loved them, he stayed where he was. It says, and finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judah. So in other words, hey, I know I got the message a couple days ago, but let's go. Now think about this. If you're Martha and Mary, how many times are you checking the window looking for Jesus? In two days? I mean, go back to the text message. You ain't responded yet. Like, I sent a message, I expect a response. How many times were they peering through the window? Right, this is the same Mary and Martha that, uh, you know, that cooked Jesus a meal. How many of you know who I'm talking about here? Martha got a little upset, didn't she? Like, Jesus, tell Mary to get in here. It's the same people. So I can tell you, Mary may not have been too like, where's you? Martha was looking like every hour, like, where are you at? Do I need to send another message? Smoke signals, like what we got to do? Jesus, I need your help. But it says that Jesus, in a sense, took his time getting there. How many of you know that we don't like people taking their time? We don't mind taking our time, but we don't want anybody else taking their time. But his disciples objected and said, Rabbi, only a few days ago, the people in Judah were trying to stone you. Are we going there again? In other words, Jesus, we already know these people are not friendly. Why are we going back there? They just were trying to kill you a couple days ago. So why would we go back there? And so there's a little bit of dialogue here that Jesus gives with them. And and so anyhow, so Jesus tells them though, is that, hey, so verse 14, because there's a little bit of confusion with the disciples, which I don't know if you've ever noticed that they didn't always understand what Jesus was trying to say. So I, you know, Jesus had long suffering with the disciples, which I'm glad because that gives me some hope, you know, uh, but it says, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead because they're thinking he's just asleep. And Jesus like, I'm gonna go wake him up. He's like, no guys, y'all don't understand what I'm saying. He's dead. And it says, and for your sakes, I'm glad that I wasn't there for now. uh, You will really come to believe. It says, come, let's go see him. And Thomas nicknamed the twin said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go too, and guess we're going to go die with Jesus. Because they're thinking, they just wanted to stone us the other day, so, well, 
We said we'd follow him anywhere, so let's go. (laughs) Got to love the faith in that statement. They have no idea what they're about to experience, but in Thomas's mind, I'm going to die. The story does not end that way. It says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. It says that Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Now, here's just an interesting thing about Jewish culture, is that they had a belief that when somebody died, their spirit would linger for several days, three days to be exact. And so Jesus comes on the fourth day of Lazarus being dead because they believed that there was still an opportunity for the spirit and the body to reconnect within three days. And yet Jesus delays beyond their expectation. And so they think, hey, it's now final, final. Like, I I don't quite understand all the fullness of this, but for, and I don't know what their doctrines or thoughts were behind it, but they believed, hey, if you existed for three days, there's still a chance for life to come back. But after three days, it's impossible. The spirit has left and has gone on. And so Jesus shows up on the fourth day, though. All the people have shown up. On the fourth day was also the loudest day of, of, of crying and travail and mourning. And so it was loud. I don't know about y'all, but I've been to some crazy funerals in my family. I remember as a kid, my parents would not let me go to certain funerals because of how some of my family acted at those funerals. I won't go into the details, but my parents thought, PTSD, not for my boy. Like, he just, he ain't old enough yet to experience that. And, uh, you know, and so, but that's what's going on. And so in this moment, it's not just kind of like, oh, he's been, he's passed away several days ago. No, this is like fresh for them. This is like the final nail in the coffin, if you will, is that, hey, it's a done deal. He's, he's done. He, it's over. Like there's nothing else that can happen. And, and so my first point for you today, if you're going to experience a breakout, and I'm going to read this to you in scripture, but I'm going to give you my point, And then we're going to read the scripture that it comes from. And we're just going to walk through this chapter or a portion of this chapter together. Is that if you're going to see a breakout though, is that you have to start by trusting in Jesus. And I'm about to show you why. Because you got to remember, their mentality, their understanding is, hey, the story's over. There's no more, there's nothing left to be written in Lazarus' story. It's finished. He's four days in the grave. It's a done deal. And so part of how, you're like, well, what does it mean to really trust Jesus? It means you you have to activate your faith. You have to believe that God's word is true for you above every other situation, circumstance, whatever your conditions or environments may be telling you, is that you have to believe God for things that maybe will go beyond what your brain says is possible. Because your brain's going to say, this is crazy. The story, it's over. And so let me show you what I mean by this. So it, it picks up here in verse 17. And it says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been, been in the grave for four days. Bethany was a few days away. We just read that. And so it says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, of course, Martha is going to hear first because she's paying attention to all the details. It says that she went out to meet him. She didn't wait for Jesus to get to her. She set her faith and expectation. I'm not waiting. I've waited all I'm going to wait. I've been looking out this window for several days. Jesus, you are late to the party. I got something to say to you. And she does. 
She goes out to meet him before he arrives. It says, but Mary stays in the house and Martha comes to Jesus. I kind of like Martha. I think she has some attitude. I'm just, I'm just saying, I, th- I identify. We might be kindred spirits. She got a little spunk to her. I mean, because you, you got to be a little gutsy to walk up to Jesus and make the statement she's about to make. And it says that Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, I called you. If you would have come, he wouldn't have died. Where you been? Who you been with? What you been doing? Because you were supposed to be here. Now, I don't know if you've ever talked to the Lord like that or if you've ever prayed that way. Salty prayers still get answered. Okay. And sometimes we need to be real in our prayer. And not just the pretty little Psalms prayers. Sometimes we just, you just got to tell the Lord where you're at. Let me say it this way. He's big enough. He can handle it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He can handle our realness and our rawness. And sometimes we need to express that to him. So Martha makes the statement. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this is where she stirs up her faith, though. Because, look, this is the difference. She's in the natural saying, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She says, but even now. But even now, she doesn't shift gears a little bit. She said, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. And so I love this is that she states the truth. Lazarus is dead. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But hey, for whatever reason, you decided to wait. But even now, and you may need a but even now prayer. Is that this is what it looks like. This is the diagnosis that I've gotten. This is what my situation is. This is what's going on. And so I have to what? Deal in the reality. But I don't stay just based and stuck to my reality. Is that but even now. God I believe that you can do. And you will work. And you will show up. And so it doesn't matter how far I think it's over. When Jesus shows up. There's a but even now moment. Now, I can preach this like crazy. But if you receive it the way your face looks right now. A smile on your face means you have an open heart. I'm just messing with you. Now, I I believe that if if we're really going to really step over into what God has for us. We're going to have to really stir up our faith. Why? Because our faith, which is just our trust in God, it's our trust that God's word is true. It's our trust that God watches over his word to perform it in our life. Is that God wants his word to happen in my life more than I do. And so, but I've got to trust that God's word is true and that his word is true for me. You have to trust that God's word is true for you. The Bible says he's no respecter of person. If he'll do it for one, he'll do it for all. But God does have respect for faith. Uh-huh. And so we have to be willing to, to stir up. And I love how it says here is that she didn't wait for Jesus to come. She went out to meet him. Yeah. 
In other words, she wasn't just sitting back and waiting. How many times have we prayed just saying, Lord, if you can do something. Okay, how about you get off your rear end and you start moving towards Jesus? Like, well, what does that look like? How about we actually go and start searching the scriptures to find a word that God would give us a promise from the scriptures. Activate your faith. Be proactive, not reactive. And so if you need healing in your body, okay, well, what does the Bible say about healing? If you need deliverance, what does the Bible say about deliverance? If you need a financial breakthrough, what does the Bible say about your finances? Go find what the scriptures say. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the more that I meditate upon the word, the more that faith gets stirred up on the inside of me. And that faith is what believes God and what really initiates a breakthrough. Faith comes by hearing is Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, repetition, God's word. You have to confess it. You got to write it on the mirror. You got to put it on the dash of the car. This is my promise. My kid who is lost. No, they're coming home. The seed has been sown on the inside of them. And my baby's out there, but I'm praying for him. And God's working. And I'm not going after him, but God is. God's got angels and God's going to send people across their paths. And so you start praying for somebody else like that. And what begins to happen? Your faith begins to grow. And now it's not if, it's just a matter of when. Oh, it's not if my kid's going to change, it's when. God's going to get a hold of them. I don't know when my situation's going to change, but it's going to change. And all of a sudden there's this confidence that begins to stir up on the inside of you. Based on God's word, not your opinions. So be proactive. Have that attitude of man, even now. Even now. Everybody just say that. Say even now. Even Doesn't that just sound good? Oh, yeah. That ought to stir up something on the inside of you. Like, I don't care what my situation is right now. Even now it can shift. Yeah. Now, I know the second one is going to sound similar. And it is somewhat similar, but it is a little different. Is I believe that we have to position ourselves for God to work. Yeah. So, number one, yeah, you've got to activate your faith. And there is a certain part of that. But here it says in verse 24, well, back it up in 23, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And it says that Martha, uh, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone rises at the last day. And Jesus tells her that I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, says, even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And he asked this so important question. Do you believe this, Martha? I believe that what's about to happen for Lazarus actually hinged on this question. How many of you know that Jesus never asked a question without a purpose? He says, Martha, do you believe? Do you have faith? I mean, you go and read through the gospels. Jesus would always ask people, what do you want from me? I'm blind, I'm lame, I'm a leper. Like all, but Jesus would say, what do you want? And what he's saying is that, Martha, do you really believe? And she said, yes, Lord. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And so one of the things that I would encourage you with, and this is where I'm talking about positioning yourself for God to work, is we're going to have to remove some preconceived ideas. In other words, well, this is the way God's always done it. Well, God did it this way for so-and-so. Well, God's not going to write your story the way he wrote their story. 
God is a creative God and he likes to rewrite stories in new ways with, with new focuses and new avenues. And, and the way God maybe healed your body last time, he may do it differently. The way God delivered you financially, he's going to do it differently this time. Why? Just because he doesn't want us getting stuck in a rut. Amen. And so what happens though is that we can get this preconceived idea of, well, this is the way it's going to happen. In other words, it's like we, we lay a road out and we're like, okay, Jesus, here you go. Just do it my way. And he's saying... No, I, I'm Jesus. I do my own thing. All right. And we may have it, and, and we have to be careful to not put our faith in what we can understand or what we know or how we see it happening. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him. Proverbs three talks about this. Verse four, five, six. Why? Because He will direct your paths. It doesn't say we direct his path. He directs our path. And so there may be a step that God asks you to do that you're thinking, this is the dumbest thing. Why would I go this direction? Lean not to your own understanding. Get out of the preconceived idea and say, God, I'm going to take a a step of faith. Because it's one thing to stir yourself up with the word of God to have faith. But what happens when God says step? What happens when God says move in a direction? And you're like, God, my road is over here. And God's like, yeah, but you got to walk to here. Like, this makes no sense. We don't like detours. God has no problem with them. Amen. And usually his, his detours aren't actually detours. They're actually shortcuts. We just don't know it. And so you, we just have to say, man, God, whatever you want to do, I'm willing to, to pursue this and walk with you through this. And, and so here we are. We have the story. Lazarus has been dead. Martha comes out, meets Jesus. They have this interaction And I want to show you something here in these next couple of verses. So my third point is this. I'm doing pretty good, by the way. I told somebody I had five points and they're like, ooh, we're going to be here after lunch. I'm on point three already. By the way, this week I did something fun just because I was curious. Because I always have like how many words are in my notes and that typically will tell me how long I preach. Roughly. And uh, it's kind of been all over the map here lately, but usually I'm a six to 800 words in my notes. And some people who have seen my notes are like, I have no idea how you say what you say based off the notes you have. I'm like, well, it's the Lord. I can't tell you. So anyhow, so last week, this is just a fun fact. And cause I'm a numbers nerdy kind of person in this way. I had 703 words in my notes last week. And so I, I, I was just, I don't even know why, but I had this thought and I was like, I wonder how many words I actually said. So I took my, my message and I went to a website that would transcribe it. So it would write it all out. Took a couple minutes. <clears throat> oh yeah. <clears throat> this has nothing to do with my notes, but it's a fun little fact. <clears throat> I was just under 10,000 words on one Sunday morning. I'm like, mm. and Dare wonders why I don't want to talk on Sunday night. You know. I'm out of words. I'm just. <laughs> totally random. If you're curious, I have 1,045 words today. And I'm already halfway through. See, these are the things I think about, you know. Y'all are thinking like the sermon's too long. And I'm like, oh, there's too many words. You know. I mean, Dare's like, she'll ask me. She's like, how many words you got? I'm like, 1,500. She's like, that's way too much. You got you to gotta take some stuff out. I'm like, I'm the preacher here. Leave me alone. You know? oh, 
Anyhow, let me get back to my notes here. So number three, it took me five minutes to get from, hey, here's number three to get back to number three. Number three is we have to face the reality. This is going to be everybody's favorite point, by the way. If you're going to get to a breakthrough, you can't just run away from the past. You can't run away from the truth. You can't run away from circumstances. You can't just stick your head in the sand and say, oh, Lord, help fix it all. When I pick my head up, it's all going to be better. Let me say it another way is that we have to acknowledge the past. We have to acknowledge the parts of our life that aren't comfortable. Because to break out means to move away from the past, but it doesn't just mean that the past just gets washed away. It means the past gets dealt with. And many times we don't want to do this. Why? Because it's painful. They're, 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 it, it, it's old wounds that we're like, I don't want to go pick at the wounds. I don't want you to pick at the wounds. I want you to get the wound healed. And there's a big difference. And so here in verse 32, it says, when Mary arrives to see Jesus, it says that she fell uh, at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Mary and Martha had been talking because they said the exact same thing. Where's Jesus? Why hasn't he come? Why hasn't he shown up? In other words, she, they were both disappointed by his delay. Jesus, we sent you a message. You were just down the road. Like, why didn't you come? You ever had a prayer that you prayed and then you went back to the Lord with that? Lord, if you would have shown up. God, where were you? I thought you said you would never leave me. You would never forsake me. But man, it sure seems like you did. See, that's Mary. And she says this and. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled and asked the question, says, where have you put him? And they told him, Lord, come and see. Lord, come and see. And my encouragement to you today is this, is there may be some areas that that needs to be what your response is to the Lord. Where's that dead thing? Where's that broken thing? Where's that disappointment? Where's that frustration? Where's that thing that you just kind of move beyond and just say, well, I guess that just wasn't in the cards for me. You need to invite Jesus into the past and into the situations of the reality of things. Why? Because he is the healer. Past, present, future. Jesus heals, Jesus restores. And so we have to acknowledge the past. We have to acknowledge hurt, grief. Maybe it's the death of a dream, a missed opportunity, disappointments, doubts, fears, even your anger. You know, if you're not careful, you can actually become angry with the Lord and not be aware of it. You can actually be offended at God and not even know it. Well, how many of you know that offense is always a roadblock? It doesn't matter if it's between me and the Lord, if it's between me and somebody. If I take on an offense, it automatically puts a barrier between me and them. It does. And so it's hard to have a relationship with barriers. 
And so there may be things that, that, that you've taken offense to or maybe things that you've even harbored against the Lord. Like I'm sure that Mary and Martha were, like Jesus. Why didn't, where were you? Well, they could have allowed that offense to come in and just settle up. You know, I've heard it said this way, is that offense, offense builds a fence. You know, after the hurricanes, I met more neighbors simply because we had no fences. I met my neighbors all around me. I'm like, man, I never knew who all these people were. When the fences came down, relationships got formed. I knew one neighbor before the storm. After it, I knew all of them. But see, sometimes we build up fences. And in this context, I really want to challenge you with this. Is what fences have you built between you and the Lord? Because of your disappointments. Because of prayers that weren't pray, or, or that you don't think were answered. Or maybe just weren't answered in the way of your expectation. Or maybe God didn't seem to come through for you the way that you thought that he should have. Or, or what are those things that you're harboring? Why? Because that's going to affect your relationship with God. And if, if it affects your relationship with God, it's going to affect his ability to break you out of where you've been and into what he has for you. Now, this is an important part. If you've taken offense towards the Lord, you need to repent. It's our favorite word of the day. Repent means to what? Change direction, change course, to acknowledge that, Lord, I took I, I took this, let me say it this way, I took this way too personally. And I need to ask you to forgive me for, for allowing something to become between me and you. So we need to repent where needed and we have to move forward. Let me say it this way, is that it's one thing to repent, it's another thing to never think about it again. You got to move forward. This is important. See, we can't just address the consequences or the weight of our past. Is that we? Is that according to Scripture, Jesus comes to transform our entire life, and he deal he does this by dealing with the root issues in our hearts. So many times we're dealing with the surface, and, and he's like, no, 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 that's just the surface. Here, I don't know. It's been a number of weeks back. I don't know if I was reading something or listening to a podcast, but I thought this was really interesting. They said that anger is always a secondary emotion, though. Always. If you're angry, you're not actually angry. If you're angry, it's, you're scared. You're afraid. It just displays itself as anger. Things are out of control, so I'm going to, in a sense, puff up and get loud so I can get bigger than the environment in front of me. Why? Because I'm intimidated right now, so now i got to... And so even, let me, just let me help you here. Don't ask the Lord to help you with your anger. Ask the Lord, why am I angry? And let the Holy Spirit lead you to why you're angry. Because that's the root issue. The anger is the, the overarching thing that you see. Like, oh, I just got a temper. No, there's something else that's deeper. That's happening deeper on the inside of you and and what and so i have to acknowledge these things and say lord i'm inviting you into these places of my life like oh i'm just trying to self-protect so i'm going to hurt somebody before they hurt me yeah but we can also keep jesus at an arm's distance when we think like that 
But yet he's the one who can heal and he's the one who can restore our soul. Now I find this very interesting. This is probably one of the more interesting parts of this story to me. Because right after it says, um, they told Jesus, Lord, come and see Lazarus. It says that Jesus wept. Now this is different when in the previous verse where it says that, that he was, uh, how did it say that? It says that, that deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. These are two totally different words. Here he's frustrated because of what he sees the effect on other people. But then it says that when they, on the way it says that Jesus wept, which literally means he cried. Like a deep cry. Now this is just, I don't have an answer for this, but I've been thinking about this all week. Is it why would Jesus cry? Why would Jesus mourn the death of Lazarus, Lazarus if he already knew the end of the story? But yet he's mourning the death of a friend. As if he didn't know the end of the story. But yet Jesus had already said, hey, this will not end in death. Just something to think about. In other words, Jesus still had to process through his human emotions. Even in the middle of God doing something supernatural. Because he was still human just like we are. And the Bible says that he deeply loved Lazarus. And yet it says that he stops for a moment before something incredible is about to happen. And he takes a moment to grieve. It's very interesting. I don't have full, you know, I'm still kind of like, not sure what to. But I believe it does display a part of his humanity to us. And so people see Jesus' response, and it says, and the people standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. In other words, people around him saw, like, oh, man, he, he really cared for Lazarus. Like, there was this connection. Now, let me, let me just help you with this, too, because a lot of times our deepest wounds are always within the relationships, Circumstances don't hurt us, but people do. Now, here's the good news. If people can hurt you, people can heal you. Now, I'm not going to dive into this scripturally, but this is a true thing. But what happens is that we need to always be aware of when offense and bitterness take hold. And really, so it's really a path that happens. It starts as unforgiveness. It becomes offense, which leads to bitterness. And it's a hardening of the heart that happens. Like at first, there's a wound. It's like, oh. You know, like yesterday I was messing with a light bulb at my house and I burned my finger like pretty bad. That joker throbbed for like four or five hours. I was keenly aware of this finger right here. But, you know, there's a callus there today and tomorrow I probably won't feel it. Because it what? There's a wound there, but even as it heals, if I'm not, if I don't treat it properly, it will just get hard and hard and hard. But any time that I, that I stay in unforgiveness, it will lead to offense, which is a hardening of my heart. And here's the thing. We don't have selective hardening of heart disease. If I harden my heart towards one, I harden to everybody. Now, I know we think that we can compartmentalize. It's like, no, I'm just, I'm just putting up a wall to them. No, you're not. You're putting up a wall to every other relationship in your life, and you're putting up a wall towards the Lord, even unintentionally. And so how do you know if you've really forgiven somebody? 
This is an easy test. Because unforgiveness is huge. Because if you, if, I mean, if we're, if you're really going to step into what God wants for you, if you're really going to step into a breakout, that means you got to deal with the past. So how do I know if I'm ready to break out? How do I know if I've forgiven that person that said that, did that, whatever? How do I know? It's a simple test. If you can bless a person that hurt you, let me say it this way. When you, when you bless a person that hurt you, you're forcing forgiveness from here into here. It's no longer like, oh, I know what they did, but I choose to forgive them. No, it's like, no, no, no. We need it to move down where I've really forgiven. In other words, the word to forgive means to actually, to really to release them of anything owed. Like you don't owe me anything. If you never come back and say you're sorry, it doesn't matter. I've already forgiven you. I've already moved past it. So the simple test is this. If you can't bless them, you have not forgiven them. And you're going to have to allow the Lord to come into those areas so that you can move forward. You're like, well, what do you mean bless them? You mean like I got to get them a gift? No, I mean like with your words. Like when you talk about them, does your stomach turn? Do all these thoughts rush into your mind that you just are ready to go off on them about? You may not have forgiven yet. Go out on a limb there. If you can bless them with your mouth. Like, well, how do I get there? Start praying for them. You want to talk about something hard? But the Bible says that we're to pray for our enemies. We're to pray for those who despitefully use and abuse us. Like, hold up, Jesus. No, sir. And it doesn't mean that what they did was right. But what it does mean is that Jesus says, I don't want that to define you. And so you have to learn how to begin to bless them. And so if you start praying over them, compassion will actually rise up on the inside of you. Now, this is not easy to do. This is like mature Christian kind of stuff. This is grown-up level faith. This is like get out of the shallow end and get down into the deep. And like, I want to be spiritually mature. Start doing this. Because if you can walk in love like this, look out, devil. See, the devil loves it when we're petty. Because when we stay petty, we stay bound. Verse 38 says, Jesus was still very angry at the time that he comes to the tomb. It says uh, uh, it was a cave with a st- stone rolled across the entrance. It says, roll the stone aside. It says, but Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Remember, this is the same Martha that said, but even now. But yet now she's protesting and says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus, don't move that. Like, uh-uh. Like, uh. And that may be the thought that runs through your mind, even as I'm speaking to you this morning, is that there's things that you're thinking like, oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't want to go back into that place of my life. And that's, that, that's hurtful. That's terrible. And, and that's what Martha's doing. She's wanting to avoid the reality Jesus responds to her and says, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory or God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of those standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. 
Again, remove your preconceived ideas. Put your faith in God. Remove your preconceived ideas. Allow God to get into the messiness of who our life is and what our life has been. Why? Because there is resurrection power in Christ. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And so even in those areas of where it's like, man, I don't want to go back. Is that God wants you healed and God wants you whole. And God wants you to what? step into a new season, not with a limp. He wants you to be able to walk into a new place that he has for you in a whole different way than you've ever had. So this is important is that we have to allow Jesus to come into these moments. So point four is this, is that we've got to remove the old grave clothes. We got to remove the old grave clothes. This is an important part of the story that I believe gets lost many times. Because I want to see when I get to heaven, I want to see a video of how this happened. Because Lazarus was mummified, like wrapped tight like this with cloth. (laughs) They put a a handkerchief or a cloth over his. So I don't know if he's like jumping. He wasn't running. I assume that he probably hopped his way right out. I don't know how he got out of there. I don't know how he got up. I mean, you ever tried to get up without using your arms? He was probably laying on like a bench of sorts. Questions I have for Jesus. Like, I want to know. It's almost Easter. You know, we got Easter coming. Lazarus, Easter bunny, hopping right out there. I don't know. (laughs) Verse 44, it says this. So at at the beginning of verse 44, Jesus calls out to Lazarus. The dead man came out and it says his hands and his feet were bound in grave cloths and his face was wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. Other translations say it this way. Go remove his grave clothes. Is that death has no business being on someone who is alive. And I'm here to tell you this morning. Is that death, pain, stain of the past has no business on somebody who Christ has made alive. And so just as as Jesus gave the instructions and says, go unwrap him. Get him out of his bondage. Here's the thing. Lazarus could not unbind himself. Because if he could have, Jesus wouldn't have told those around him to do it. But yet, Jesus tells him, he's going and let. And so here's the thing, is that we all need each other. Like we really need each other. We are not created to be isolated. If anything, COVID taught us that very well. We are not meant to be isolated. We are not meant to just be closed up to ourselves. Why? We're just not. We are created as relational beings. Relational with God, but relational with one another too. See, we need somebody to talk to. We need somebody to process with. I talked about how Jesus wept. Well, guess what? We need time to think and to process and to talk it out too. And you don't talk to everybody. You don't talk to just anybody. But you need somebody that you can confide in. You need somebody that you can, what? That can, you can share where you're really at honestly. Why? So they can pray for you. So they can come alongside you. So they can love you. 
See, I believe that Jesus delivers us. Jesus does really break us out, but he uses his people to come around us to help unpack what he has done. And sometimes, you know, it's amazing to me. I mean, there's a portion of my life, but just by virtue of what I do is that most people don't call me on their best days. Like most calls are not like, hey, pastor, I'm having just a great day. I just wanted you to know. (laughs) Most days are, hey, I... We're really struggling and, and we need some advice. And hey, this is going on. And hey, can, can you pray for this family? And it, you know, and it's heavy sometimes. And it's heavy. Why? Because it's real life. But we all need people to turn to. We need people that know how to believe God. We, need, we, we have to have people around us that, that know how to pray. This is why we have groups, by the way. It's not just so that you show up in a group and be like, okay, they're a little extra spiritual this week. Okay, they showed up. We have groups so that you can be in a relationship with the other people. So that somebody that you don't know just calls you from the church and is like, hey, we heard such such has happened. Is there anything we can do for you? No, it's somebody in your group calls and says, hey, we, we know what's going on. How can we help you? This isn't anybody in our church, but I just texted somebody yesterday that uh, was actually in our church in Arkansas, and his mother just passed away this week. They were in our church there. I just texted him yesterday, and I said, hey, man, I just want I love you. I love you. Just thinking about you today, praying for you and your family. I don't do that to random strangers. But I do that to people I'm in relationship with. And we all need people like that. We need people in our life, and that's why we encourage you to get in a group. It's not so that everybody can get up in your business. Look, you're not going to be best friends with everybody at a group. You just need to find somebody. Find one, find two. Find somebody that you can connect with and be in relationship. Because you can come in a room like this week in and week out and be very isolated. Just slip in and slip out and slip in and slip out. Like, man, this church just ain't very friendly. Proverbs says that if we show ourselves friendly, that we will have some friends. Because we need each other. Like, you don't just need me. I actually need you too. If we're really going to have what God wants for us, we got to get into these groups. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It'll be up on the screen. You don't turn there, but it says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Look out for one another. Pay attention. It goes on. It says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness would grow up to trouble you in corrupting many. Watch out for one another. Pay attention. Check on one another. Like that's part of family. If you know somebody's offended, Lovingly, speak to it. Let them talk to you about it. Now, if it's the 15th conversation about the same offense, okay, buddy, I, I love you, but we got to move forward. Like, it's time. So the, my last point for you today is this. So kind of recapping real quick. Number one, you got to put your trust in Jesus. You got to position yourself for God to work. You've got to face the reality of where you're at. 
You got to have people come and remove the grave clothes. You, you, you got to be honest with other people because sometimes I think that we're willing to be honest with God. We just don't want to be honest with other people. James chapter 5, God heals, but he sends people to, to bring it about in our life. It's just an important principle. So the fifth one is the best one. And it's simply this, is that we get to live out our new freedom and we just refuse to go back to the old. We live out our freedom. We live in, in, in what God has done in us. But if I'm going to keep it, I got to refuse to go back. I mean, God, man, you, you've moved me beyond this point. Okay, so I'm not going to let the enemy come in. I'm not going to let circumstance. In other words, I'm not going to give up the ground that Jesus has bled for, that Jesus died for me to have. Like he fought for it. And so I just, I'm going to stand and I'm going to maintain it. But for that to happen, we have to abandon that old approach, that old way of living, that old way of thinking, that old way of, of walking. There may be some new things in your life. There may be some influences that need to change. There, there may need to be some things that you've allowed into your life. Like, I'll just be real practical with it. There might be some music that you just need to say, hey, you know what? That, that was good for a season of my life, but it's no longer good for the season that I want to be in. That, that entertainment, that was okay to, for a season, but it's no longer okay for the season that I want to be in. There may be some relationships that you need to cut off or at least greatly diminish the influence because they're not leading you into what God has for you. As a matter of fact, they're keeping you tethered to your past. If somebody, all they all, if all they ever want to do is talk about the good old days, it might be time to separate. Why? Because I want to get into what God has for me. On the flip side of that, you might need to build some new relationships. Like I got I to gotta get away from some old influences and I need some new ones. I need some friends who will do what Proverbs said, that faithful are the wounds of a friend. I love and I hate that verse. In other words, I need friends who are going to tell me the truth. Whether I like it or not. But I love, or I know that they love me enough to tell me the truth. And that's an important part. And so if we're going to step in and stay in what God has for us, there are going to have to be some adjustments, some changes. And I know I just gave you a couple natural things, but there may be a, a way of thinking that you're like, I just got to change this way of thinking. So I need to renew my mind to the word of God. And I need to start saying what God's word says, because as I start saying it, it's going to begin to wash my mind of that old way of thinking. And it's going to get replaced with a new way of thinking so that I can really walk in the fullness of what Christ has provided for me. So this morning, I want to take just a moment here, just real quick. And, you know, earlier I was talking about, I, I really tried to figure out when I was going to do this, but I thought about doing it in the middle of the service, but I decided not to. But if you're here this morning, real quick, I'm not going to call you down here, but I'm going to ask you to stand up. If you're here this morning, and I was talking about some of those old wounds and how people had hurt you, but you say, man, you know what? I'm tired of allowing what happened to me in the past to really define my today, which also will by default define my tomorrow. And you're like, hey, I need to forgive. Like you said that, like there's some people that I just can't bless. I ain't doing it. Don't want to do it. Don't care to do it. Don't want to even think about it. But you say, man, I, w- I want to move beyond that. I-, I really need the help of the Holy Spirit to help me to forgive. I'm going to ask you just to stand up right where you are right now. Don't wait. Just go ahead and stand up right where you are. Because I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And he's going to help you to deal with some of these things from the past and the hurts. 
so that you can actually, you know, earlier I said it this way, is that you need to position yourself for God to work. This might be your moment to get positioned right. And so I want to just pray over you. We'll worship in a minute and before we're dismissed. And if you want more prayer, you can come down here and get prayer in a moment. But I I just want to take this moment and invite the Holy Spirit into this moment. And you've taken a step of faith just by standing up. And you've brought yourself in a position for God to work and to move in your life. Because the past doesn't have to define you. You can move forward into what God has for you. So I want to pray this morning. Father God, I just thank you so much for each one of these that are standing right now. Father, I just thank you for the power and the work of your Holy Spirit. Father, that I have communicated your word, but Father, I thank you that beyond just the word that I say, Father, I thank you that it's the Holy Spirit that brings life, that brings truth, that brings understanding. And so, Father, I thank you right now. Father, that you're moving upon each one of these. In these wounds of the past, these areas of unforgiveness, Father, I thank you. The Father, that you're healing, you're restoring what the enemy intended for evil. Father, I thank you that you're turning it about right now for their good. So, Father, I just ask you to move upon each one of these. Father, you are the great physician. Father, even our hardest, darkest places of our life. Father, I thank you that you're never repelled or pushed back from us. But, Father, I thank you that you come to us with loving compassion. So, Father, I thank you that you're just revealing yourself, moving and working on the inside of each one of these right now in the name of Jesus.